Tragedy in Nashville, a trans terrorist slaughters six people, including three children under age 10, and the left's response is to completely ignore the trans mental illness and apologize to the shooter for misgendering. Oh, and they still want to take your guns too, of course. I'm in Nashville. This is my city, and I'm hopping mad. The show starts now. On Monday morning, this freak entered Covenant Christian School right down the road from where I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Tragically, six lives were lost, and I'd like to pause to pay homage to those victims. And a special thanks to the brave officers of Metro Nashville Police Department. The freak responsible for this carnage was taken down in short order before she could take any more innocent lives. Warning, some of the footage you're about to see may be graphic and disturbing. Push it LPVO. Push it LPVO. Go right. Move, move. Watch out, watch out. Move. Stop moving. Stop moving. Watch left, watch left. Suspect down, suspect down. And that is how you respond to a threat. A sincere thank you to the entire Metro Nashville Police Department and especially these officers, Rex Engelbert, a four-year veteran, and Michael Colazzo, a nine-year veteran of the department for their quick and life-saving action. And God bless all of our brave and underappreciated peace officers across America. I'm also mostly impressed and proud of the level of transparency our Nashville officials have offered up to this point, though we have still yet to see the manifesto, and we are awaiting that, my friends. But it's my opinion Nashville has set the standard for how to respond in the wake of tragedy. Yes, there is more to learn, like that manifesto, but hours after the tragedy occurred, we already knew who did it and the possible motivation. Take a listen. Is there any reason to believe that how she identifies is, has any motive for targeting the school? Uh, we can give you that at a later time. There is uh, some theory to that. We're investigating all the leads, and once we know exactly, we'll let you know. So was this a targeted attack? It was. A targeted attack by a biological female who identified as male. Sounds like mental illness mixed with a hate crime to me. The leftists are going out of their way to cover this up because it's not politically convenient for their side. And I'm going to get into the rainbow of all of it in final thoughts at the end of tonight's show. But first, let me say a message to all the freaks and psychos out there. Don't mess with Nashville because we don't mess with you. You will be taken down and you will be taken out. When it comes to preventing this kind of tragedy, we already know where the leftists and Democrats sit, the great and futile gun grab. Or, instead of taking guns from law-abiding Americans and proud patriots, we start protecting our schools with guns and those trained to use them as we do with our politicians, celebrities, banks, and jewelry stores. Here with his take on the police response and more is Greg Schaefer with Active Shooter Prevention Project. It's great to have you with me, and I really appreciate your expertise tonight. Thank you, Tommy, and thank you for your kind words to the National Police Department. I totally agree with what you're saying. Uh, the, the response that those officers, all of them, did at that at that moment exemplifies exactly what police should do, what they're trained to do. And I tip my hat to them. They are truly, truly heroes. 
You know, I think that most police officers would respond that way. But of course, with what happened last year in Uvalde, there's been kind of a stain on police response to school shootings. But I think Nashville really has set the standard. When you watch that body cam footage that was put out with remarkable speed, by the way, what was your initial thought about how that went down? And would you have done it the same way? Is there any little intricacies that the average person would not see from watching that footage that you saw that you'd like to point out? Well, first of all, the communication was outstanding. Uh, when he gets the door uh, the, of the school, he asked for three more personnel. So his communication is great. Then they go in and they methodically check room by room looking for their shooter. Because when they entered the school, there was no shooting going on at that time. So they have no idea where their shooter is or even how many shooters there may be. So they have to methodically check room for room to room to look for that shooter. Then once shots rang out, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. They ran to the gunfire. They put their own security and their own safety at risk, ran to the gunfire to eliminate the threat to save lives. Uh, just everything that, they, that, that I saw in that video was just exactly why I have trained thousands of police officers worldwide in how to, how to react to an active shooter event. I want to get back to the school's response and other schools. You know, when I was in school, we had lockdown procedures, active shooter drills. This is just something that's baked into our curriculum at this point. And it's sad that that's the case, but it's the reality. So people need to be prepared and they need to be aware. But I'm a little uh, wondering your take on this because we know that sometimes in these instances, which I believe also happened in Nashville, the fire alarm was pulled. And so naturally when the fire alarm is pulled, you have students that are flooding into the hallways, potentially encountering the shooter themselves. So. What expertise can you share with us if you're in that situation, whether it be a school or an office building, how should people respond to that kind of a fire alarm or that kind of threat to be sure that they are making the best possible decision in the moment? Well, the first thing you want to do, if, if, if you're able to do it, is get away from the danger. You flee. Get out of the building, run as fast, as, as fast and far away as you can. If you can't run away, then you need to... Uh, Put yourself into a room and hard point and prevent that shooter from entering that room. Tie the hinges down, tie the doorknob down using your belt, using cables, using cords, using electrical cables. So deny that shooter access to where you're at. And then once you deny him access, you look for improvised weapons to defend yourself. You look for a pair of scissors, you look for a coffee pot, you look for a fire extinguisher or anything that can be used as a weapon to defend yourself. So you avoid the shooter, you deny him access, and then you look for ways to defend yourself. But let's also look at this, uh, Tommy, is we need to focus more on prevention. And that's what we are doing now at ASPP. We need to get in front of this. The response was fantastic. The police did exactly what they're supposed to do. But all that is done after the event has already started. We need to get in front of this and do things to prevent these events from happening. You know, AI cameras in the parking lot of that church would have saved lives because an AI camera would have recognized immediately when she brought the two AR-15s out of the trunk of her car and with a handgun on her hip, an AI camera, if it was in place and they're very affordable, this technology is out there, the AI camera would have recognized that as a weapon. It would have notified the police. It would have notified the people in the school and a lockdown could have taken place before that shooter even entered the school. And another thing we could have done to help prevent this is using that film on the door, the glass door. Had, had this plastic film been placed in that front door, when she fired those rounds in that glass, that glass would not have shattered. It could have kept her from entering the school as well. And then the last thing, of course, is armed security. There was no armed response in that school prior to the event happening. And it's just another reason why I'm a big proponent of having armed guards in every school in America. 
Yes, that's a discussion that we've been having for several years now. You know, the left's immediate response is to gun grab. But to me, that's futile because somebody who's going to go slaughter children probably doesn't care too much about gun laws. And we've got millions and millions of guns in this country. If somebody wants to wreak havoc, they're going to get a firearm. They're going to get a weapon. They're going to ram their car into a, you know, a playground. You can't stop evil from happening, but you can respond to it effectively. So, and again, when we're going back to this particular shooter, we don't have the entire manifesto yet. They are probably keeping it under lock and key for political reasons. But we do know that this shooter thought about multiple locations, and then this person thought that maybe this one, because it wasn't fortified, would be an easier target. Schools are soft targets. You're not going to enter somewhere to try to cause carnage, damage, and, and loss of life if you think that somebody's going to be armed to take you out when you step through the door. So as far as schools go, having these armed guards, how do we get the other side of the political divide to understand how reasonable and realistic this step would be? How do you communicate that as somebody who's a professional to people who see and hear gun and they don't want any part of it? Well, you see armed guards in banks. You see armed guards outside of Tiffany store. You see armed guards in airports. And having an armed response is just a normal is just a normal uh, thing you do to help stop violence, to help stop evil. And putting uh, an armed guard in the school, I, I don't understand the left's proclivity uh, of not wanting that to happen. It's just it, it makes no sense to me that we don't want to put an armed guard in the school for one reason, that's to protect our children. It's, it's it, again, completely nonsensical. I think it's a great uh, uh, solution. It's not the solution because this is a multifaceted problem, but it is a solution to this to this difficult uh, task of you know stopping the violence in our schools. Again, we have the we have the AI technology, artificial intelligence. You know, we we have the cameras. We have uh, uh, mental health uh, laws that need to be changed. This individual obviously was an evil person. She was obviously mentally impaired. She had been seeing multiple doctors or psychiatrists, yet none of the information was provided to the police or provided to the people that were able to sell her guns legally. So the legislators need to get in front of this, and we need to find a way around the HIPAA laws to make sure those, those people who are identified as mentally unstable do not have access to purchase weapons. I agree with you, and that is part of this conversation. I also want to bring up a text message that we now have between the shooter and one of their friends uh, kind of detailing that something was going to happen. We have the text message here, and it's incredibly disturbing. I don't know if you've had a chance to read it yet, but essentially telling her friend that, you know, she's about to do something, you're going to see my face on the news. Um, it was obviously very ominous, and I believe that this person alerted authorities, but it never, you know, came to fruition that this was stopped. As an active shooter prevention expert, how would you consult law enforcement and other administrators and entities when they get tips like this that somebody might be about to do something horrific? Well, we do know from statistics, and the Secret Service's report on active shooters uh, support this, over 75% of all active shooter events, the shooter tells somebody what they're going to do before it happens. So they either put it on social media, they text a friend, they call somebody, but 75% of the time, somebody else knows. And, and, and like in this instance, that person that received that text did the right thing and called the police. But what's happening is, uh, is we're stovepiping all this information. You know, parents have information on, on kids that may be troubled. Uh, other students have information on students that they fear may be troubled or mentally disturbed. Mental health care professionals have that information. Doctors have that information. Health care professionals have that information. But all that information is stovepiped in those 
you know, in those arenas, and they don't share that information with, with anybody else. We need to make sure that that information is flowed into one funnel, and then that information is then distributed to law enforcement, to principals, to, to those that need to know that this person, you know, one, may, may have mental problems, and two, you know, should maybe not be allowed on campus or maybe not should not be allowed to buy weapons. But all that information, there's a lot of information out there, but it's being stovepiped in those different areas. And we need to come up with a, a, a plan to get that information so that we can disseminate it to the right people. And we also need to eliminate this plague of political correctness, wherein if you say this person has got a mental illness, has gender dysmorphia and the like, and you say that they might cause havoc or they might wreak havoc on communities because we know that they have a mental condition, you're not allowed to say anything because then you're labeled a transphobe when really you're just addressing a very real concern. I appreciate you being here breaking this down. I wish that we didn't have to have active shooter prevention solutions but we do need to have them in this day and age, and it's best if everybody is aware, alert, trained, and educated on this. Where can my audience go to find out more information so they can prepare themselves, their schools, and their families? Active Shooter Prevention Project, ASPP.com, is our firm, and we are the first firm that I know of that is focusing strictly on prevention, response, and then options. So contact us and we will help you understand what happens in these kind of events and how to prevent them. And then if you can't prevent them, how to respond to them and different options available to you. I encourage everybody to check that out. We all need more education on this. This is a reality that we live in. And I really appreciate you for being here and sharing all this information with my audience today. Thank you, Tommy. Still ahead and switching gears, he's running for president, but he's going to have his work cut out for him. That's for sure. American businessman and 2024 Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy joins me next. You know, we need to act. These are weapons of war. I'm a Second Amendment guy. I have two shotguns. My sons have shotguns. You know, but our states, you know, everybody thinks somehow the Second Amendment is absolute. You're not allowed to go out and own a an automatic weapon. You're not allowed to own a machine gun. You're not allowed to own a flamethrower. You're not allowed to own so many other things. Why in God's name do we allow these weapons of war on our streets and at our schools? Well, that's our commander-in-chief, folks. Look, the great gun debate is going to, as it always has and likely always will be, part of the national conversation ahead of the 2024 election. And we need to know where our Republican leaders stand. Joining me now with his take on that and so much more is 2024 Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. Vivek, it's great to have you. It's good to see you, Tommy. How are you? I'm doing well, other than obviously what we're dealing with here in Nashville, which is exactly where I want to start the conversation tonight. It's no doubt that this gun debate is going to rage on now and into 2024. So I'm wondering, as a candidate, where you stand on it and some of the rhetoric, especially you've heard in the last several days. Yeah, so I've actually been very clear in the last couple of days. It was a tragedy in Nashville. I think if you want to protect our children, as I think we should, we should protect our children. And I think the right way to do that is to put armed marshals in every one of those schools. I've run the math on this. I'm actually the first Republican candidate who has called to abolish the U.S. Department of Education. That's $83 billion a year spent on an agency that, by the way, foists its toxic agendas onto schools, public schools across the country, using federal funding as a carrot to advance these race and gender ideologies. Well, it turns out for just 25% of that, we could actually put two to three armed marshals in every school, certainly every public school across this country. 
that's clearly a better use of funds than what we're doing today. So I think that conflating this with the issue of so-called weapons bans or whatever it is that President Biden's talking about, that's just politicizing this. We have the same number of guns on a per capita basis today as we did five decades ago. What's really wrong today is we have a men mental health epidemic in this country that we haven't adequately addressed. But in the short run, if you want a short run solution that protects kids in schools, then protect the most valuable assets of this country, the next generation, more than we, today we don't even protect them in the same way we protect banks or airports with thousands standing around, that's the acronym for TSA, or any range of other things, shopping malls that will protect more effectively. We ought to actually step up to the plate and say, if we want to protect our children to make sure something like this doesn't happen again, there's an easy way we can do it. And as U.S. President, with my plan to shut down the Department of Education, that's an important part of what I'll deliver. Now, the other part of this, Tommy, is you know, we have to look at the, vic at, at the perpetrator here. I think it is an important part of the conversation to say that this was a transgender individual who likely struggled with other mental health disorders. We can no longer pretend like gender dysphoria is just something that's perfectly normal that we accept versus recognizing it what it is. It is a mental health disorder when a person engages in a gender transition more often than not. That's a signal that something else is going wrong in their lives. And I reject the idea that it's the compassionate thing to do to somehow affirm someone else's confusion. The real humane thing to do is actually to figure out what's going wrong and to fix it. And anything short of that is cruel, yet that's exactly the culture we live in today. Oh, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And there's been a lot of discussion about some of our new laws here in Tennessee that ban drag queens from gyrating in front of children, as well as that gender mutilation for adolescents that you just described. We've obviously taken a lot of heat for that. And now the national conversation really has switched somehow, Vivek, I don't understand, to the conservative Christians who were targeted are now part of the problem. And somehow we deserve this because we went after the trans community. I don't know how the media manages to spin that with a straight face or goes to sleep at night knowing that they're doing it, but that's the reality of the conversation. And speaking of parents and speaking of school choice and, and these things that are all rooted in what you just discussed, which is the Department of Education and the future generations, how do you think going into 2024, not only yourself, but other Republicans down ballot address this issue and bring more parents into our fold? Because I truly believe this is a bipartisan issue it's something that independents are going to want to hear from us. And I want to know how we can make sure that we get that message out effectively. I think we've failed to do it for far too long. Look, I think this trans issue and the issue of radical gender ideology, we just can't dance around that like it's a sacred cow we can't touch. We have to address it head on. Okay, I'll tell you something. Fun fact, Tommy, people forget this. You can't get a tattoo by the age of 18 in any of the 50 states in this union. Why? Because we don't want children making permanent decisions that they will regret later in life in the form of a tattoo. And yet now it's become a trend in this country where every time a kid goes through some period of confusion, even a young kid, the thing you're supposed to do as an adult, a teacher or a parent is to affirm that confusion by engaging in forms of surgery, as you put it correctly, genital mutilation, chemical castration, puberty blockers that, yes, have permanent effects that many of those kids will regret for the rest of their lives. I think that a federal ban on genital mutilation or gender-affirming chemical castration been below the age of 18 is perfectly appropriate. I think if we can say the same for cigarettes or for alcohol by the age of 18 or 21, we can absolutely say the same thing with respect to gender-affirming, you know, real genital mutilation surgery before the age of 18 either. Now, I think that parents having more agency and more choice is important in this. 
one of the complaints you hear is that school choice programs across the country are underfunded. Again, I come back to that $80 billion, really $83 billion price tag that we spend through the Federal Department of Education. Even many people who complain at school board meetings and participate in school board elections, one of the things they can't, I would advise them not to forget, is that the Federal Department of Education at the U.S. government, that's actually responsible for a lot of those toxic agendas. Why? Because many of those school boards are just responding to the economic incentives they're given. They don't get those subsidies from the federal government unless you bend the knee to these new race and gender orthodoxies foisted on these schools by the federal government. That's something a U.S. president can change. And I've unapologetically said, when we shut down the U.S. Department of Education, great, you could take 25% of that. That would fund two to three school marshals per school. You still have the remaining 75% to work with. That would be more than enough to actually help fund any gaps in true school choice programs across the country. And I do think empowering, pa and empowering parents is the right step towards the solution. There's still something wrong in our culture, of course, when many parents themselves, at least some, progressive parents because they're insecure and want to be popular amongst their peers right. will be among those that also want to affirm their children's confusion. That's something we have to deal with in our culture. Government's not going to exactly deliver the answer to that. But part of this presidential campaign is a cultural movement to revive the answer to the question of what it actually means to be American, to revive that self-confidence again. And Tommy, I'm running because I think it has to be an outsider. It has to be somebody that isn't a product of that broken system itself. And that's what I'm hoping to deliver all the way to the White House. Well, it sounds good to me. I agree with you on all the points that you've made. I want to turn to another issue that, unfortunately, hasn't really gotten the coverage that it deserves, and that's our southern border. You know, at Fox News, we send Bill Maluge and we send Griff Jenkins, we send all of our fleet down there to try to expose what's happening and get the American people to understand. The Fox News audience understands. The conservative audience understands. I don't think the American people at large really understand what's going on down there. I want to play a clip of our Senator Ted Cruz addressing this this week and then get your thoughts on the other side. Let's take a listen. And I will tell you, the men and women of the Border Patrol, they've never had a political leader undermine them. They despise you, Mr. Secretary, because you're willing to let children be raped to follow political orders. This is a crisis. It's a disgrace. And you won't even admit this human tragedy is a crisis. What the senator said was revolting. I'm not going to address it. Your refusal to do your job is revolting. <clears throat> So this has been an ongoing conversation. We know what's going on at the border. We know the open border Biden policy. We know that your opponent, Donald Trump, was one of the first people to make this a national issue that people cared about. So heading into 2024, how would you address this very important issue and maybe even get some independents and even some Democrats on your side with it? So look, I actually want to go further than Trump ever wanted to go, but I think we can also do it in a way that unifies the country if we do it from a strong moral foundation, from a position of moral authority. So what do I mean? I don't think building the wall alone is enough. I don't even think that's going to be sufficiently effective anymore. I think we need to build the wall and, yes, use the U.S. military to secure the Swiss cheese that is our southern border today. It is a completely porous border. I think it is a perfectly legitimate use of the military, both under international law, domestic law, and ethical norms, to use our own military to secure our own border. If we can use it to secure somebody else's border, we can absolutely use it to secure our own. And Tommy, the funny fact is, that is a controversial thing to say in the modern nationalist security establishment. But I believe standing on moral authority, standing on American principles, I think that's a perfectly good use of U.S. military force to actually secure our border. And even to go a step further, 
to end the fentanyl crisis. That's actually one of the great costs. You're talking about costs to human life on American soil. 100,000 plus deaths per year due to fentanyl, most of which is crossing our Swiss cheese of a southern border. And you know what? That's about 50 times the number of people that died on 9-11 each year dying on American soil directly as a consequence of largely Chinese-manufactured or Chinese-supplied fentanyl that they actually manufacture synthetically south of the border that the drug cartels are now pumping into the United States. I refuse to stand by as just an idle bystander, as the current president, President Biden, is doing, and watch that kill 100,000 Americans on our own soil. If you're going to use the U.S. military, the number one use case is to protect Americans on our own soil, on our own home turf. And again, that's going much further than President Trump ever did. But I'm willing to go there, take that America first agenda to the next level. But I think we can do it, as you asked, in a way that brings even independents and some Democrats and some apolitical people with us if we're doing it from a strong moral foundation, which makes the case from first principles rather than just, you know, tearing up the system for the sake of shaking it up. There's a role for that, and I respect Trump for it. But now to take it to the next level, I think in many ways like Reagan did in the 1980s, we have to do it from a moral foundation with moral authority on principled ground. And that's actually the whole premise of my campaign. That's exactly what we're doing. And that's what will empower us to take that America First agenda to its true logical extension. Oh, I agree. I think, again, you're right. People don't want to address the fact that we're not protecting our border because the thought of somehow sending our military to protect our own borders is so off-putting for some people that see it as militant. Well, it is because we need to protect and defend our country. We also need to look at some of the asylum laws and other things that are allowing these people to get in under false pretenses and then stay in this country and really run roughshod, do whatever they want, have five kids by the time they have an actual hearing. But I want to move on now to Trump and DeSantis, right? So that's been the biggest part of this whole conversation headed up to 2024. You've already got a competitor in Donald Trump. We don't yet have an announcement from Ron DeSantis. But I wonder, with those two heavyweights in this race, how do you plan to address them, whether it's now or whether it's the primary season, the debates? How are you going to tackle a personality as big as Trump? And then if DeSantis were to get into the race, that's another big personality you got to contend with. I mean, DeSantis is effectively running a shadow campaign already, so let's just call that spade a spade. We can get into the details of that. Here, here's what I view. I think it is a two-person race. I think it's between Donald Trump and myself. I think that the way it works is we need a political outsider in the White House. That is the new tradition and will be the new tradition of the Republican Party. We cannot be the party of the professional politician, of the career politician. You want Joe Biden? Great. That's what you get from the other party. In our party, I think it's fine to have some career politicians in Congress or the Senate or maybe, maybe in foot soldiers in individual seats as governors. I think Ron DeSantis has been a fine governor, been a good governor in Florida. But I think when you're talking about reviving a missing national identity, you're just not going to get it from a professional career politician who's beholden to the donor class. Note the silence after the Silicon Valley bailout. Note the silence, even with respect to the use of police power to potentially indict a member of the opposition party. I think Ron DeSantis, I think, has revealed, you know, and it's not just him, it's any career politician, they're beholden to their donor class. In my case, I didn't ring a tin can asking donors for permission to run. I'm speaking truth, hard truths, in many cases, unapologetically, even going further than President Trump ever did, tackling affirmative action, something that Trump could have addressed but did not, tackling the climate cult, saying that we're going to abandon that. I think I could go on and on with respect to how we can take the America First agenda to the next level, 
But I think this is a two-horse race between the two people who are not professional politicians, but true outsiders and have actually succeeded in the world outside of politics. I certainly have, even by the age of 37, I've built multi-billion dollar businesses from scratch and achieved independence. That's what this race comes down to. Now, between Trump and myself, I said it earlier to, to you, Tommy, I think that I can take this the distance even further than Trump did, building on his foundation, admittedly, but doing so with moral authority, reviving a national identity to put America first. We need to rediscover what America is. And I'm running on a campaign to rediscover that missing national identity, the first principles that set this nation into motion in 1776. And if we do that, I don't think we have to be some nation in an inevitable national decline. I don't think we have to be Rome or Carthage. I think we're just a little young, going through our version of adolescence, figuring out who we really are. And I'm leading the process of getting to that answer with conviction. And that will allow us to take that policy agenda of America first to its fullest extent, actually fire the managerial bureaucrats and shut down the government agencies that stop Donald Trump from doing his work. I will follow through and do it with constitutional conviction and with personal conviction, and most importantly, with moral conviction, a moral foundation that we've lost in this country. As a father of two kids, as the kid of two parents in a stable family or immigrants who came to this country, I think I'm unapologetic about bringing back the family foundation, the faith-based foundation of this country. We can't forget that in a conservative movement either. That's actually part of the foundation that allows us to go even further. Well, a lot of the things that you're saying I agree with. I think it's going to be a battle for 2024. I hope the Republican Party doesn't splinter itself so much that it allows for an inevitable Democrat to get into that White House again. But I appreciate everything that you're saying. Best of luck to you. You know, you and I have been on Outnumbered, I believe, a couple of times together. I've always appreciated your work, always appreciated your eloquence, your effectiveness, and your communication. So best of luck to you, and thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Tommy. Good to see you again. Coming up next, Monday night, I pose the question, how long before the narrative shifts to Christians and anti-trans conservatives pushed he, him to slaughter innocent children? And sadly, the answer was less than five hours. My very passionate final thoughts are next. A trans shooter targets, ambushes, and slaughters Christian students and staff at a Christian school. And the left spends every moment since trying to blame it on conservatives and Christians. A new low has been reached, and I've got a hell of a lot to say. It's time for Final Thoughts. The moment news of the Nashville school shooting broke, the Democrats and Marxist leftists in the media immediately did what they always do, call for a gun grab. They're worrying about, you know, other people, books, baloney items. This they will not do anything about it. By the way, thank you, Joe Biden, for trying to, to put the, the ban on those assault weapons. I wish they would stop jumping around and dancing around everything, but the guns, it's well, this, the guns. That's the thing they all have in common. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of trying to find a way to justify mm -hmm. you being able to keep 75 guns in your house. I am tired <laughs> of trying to figure out a way to, to say, listen, we have rules and regulations. The Constitution is very clear. Scalia changed the meaning of what yes, the Constitution says. AR-15s have no use in normal 
daily no. life. No. The police are identifying the shooter as a trans woman, would actually be a trans man. So there's sort of a misidentification there, but this is all new. I'm just wondering, the identity of being a transgender person and also being identified as a woman, does this pose any sort of difference or difficulty for, the, for police because it's not typically a woman, regardless of how they're identifying? Pronouns do not kill children, right? People with guns kill children, and it's going to be a distraction in our coverage and keep us from what we now know, which is each of these cases has a similarity uh, more than any difference. In his State of the Union, the president called on Congress to do something to stop the epidemic of gun violence, tearing families apart, tearing communities apart. How many more children have, have to be murdered before Republicans in Congress will step up and act to pass the assault weapons ban? The left knows the whole trans elephant in the room is politically inconvenient for them to address, right along with the gender dysmorphic mental illness they aid and abet in popular culture. That's why the left pushed to bury the shooter's manifesto. They don't want you to know the truth. They already know damn good and well this was a targeted act of domestic terrorism carried out by a member of the Rainbow Mafia. So, of course, got to focus on an inanimate object and the law-abiding patriots who own, keep, and carry them. Well, I've got news for all of you. If the left Leftists, along with the Rainbow Mafia, are dedicated to advancing mental illness in this country. Like hell, our law-abiding citizens going to give up our guns and means to protect ourselves. The Marxist left wants to defund police and disarm law-abiding Americans. And for what? So the thugs and freaks can run roughshod over our country? I don't think so. You don't solve tragedy by taking away the rights of law-abiding Americans. You help to lessen tragedy by having a real conversation about mental health. The mental health of our young people has been greatly damaged by lockdowns, fatherless and broken homes, social media use, and the radical LGBTQ movement. Gun ownership in the USA has not changed much in the last 30-plus years. But you know what has? the medication, mutilation, and neutering of young people under the guise of gender affirmation. And you know what else has changed? The increased occurrence of trans or non-binary individuals committing heinous and radical rainbow-motivated attacks. In fact, there have been four recent attacks carried out by members of this radicalized community, and given they only make up 0.6% of the population, perhaps the FBI and DOJ should start focusing some attention there instead of at pro-life Christians and moms at school board meetings. Just a thought. Like, perhaps the FBI should take a look at this one. A deranged trans sorcerer, by the looks of it, is calling for violence against Tennessee conservatives, saying that we are outlawing trans existence. Trans allies in Tennessee, it's time to fight. Trans women, if they lock you up for identifying as a woman, fight, resist. You're gonna die anyways. We're going to die anyways. It's time to fight. Fight them, hurt them. If they put their hands on you, beat them. Carry a weapon at all times. And yes, you have to attack the police officer. It's time to fight. Trans genocides around the corner. Stop debating cis people in your existence. I do not debate. My existence is not a conversation. We fight now or we die. Reason number a million and five to keep your kids off of frickin' TikTok. No one outlawed drag queens or transgenders. Here in Tennessee, we outlawed drag queens dancing for children and children castrating or otherwise messing with their biology. And all of the people in entertainment, 
media and elected office who spent the last month mischaracterizing and lying about our new Tennessee child protection law. Shame on you, you're part of the problem. And you know, all these gun grabbers keep squawking that the Nashville shooter shouldn't have been able to buy firearms given treatment for a mental condition. So is the left finally admitting that gender dysmorphia is a mental condition? Because if so, let's chat. We need to address mental illness in this country and we need to be honest about it because truth be told, we are fighting on behalf of all vulnerable people who are being duped into this radical trans agenda. These people are being manipulated and taken advantage of and someone needs to be honest about it. This is about compassion for all people and our duty to safeguard against this dangerous agenda. This is scary stuff and I fear it's only the beginning. So let's start the conversation now. Those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless. Take care.